0: Everyone, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever and wherever you are listening in on this episode of the Trail Life. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Thank you for joining me on another journey across the podcast airwaves. And today's journey, as you will, is from a a section of trail running or trail racing that maybe you don't really get a chance to hear very often race photography. Usually you're at a race, you see the race photographer, you smile, you make a, a crazy gesture. You go on with it, you get your photos afterwards, and then you move on. Well, my next guest, Howie Stern, is probably one of the greatest storytellers in race photography. Um, I'm really excited to talk to him about how he got started in, in the photography aspect of it, his trail running background, what it looks like as he prepares for race photography on race weekend. Uh, there's so much to share, so much to listen in on, so I'm excited for this one. Hope you guys enjoy Welcome to the trail life. Howie Stern. Will help me turn the turning. Will help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. It was kind of one of those things where everybody at the same time was like race photography, Howie Stern. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) so I think it's one of those things. I, I don't know. Personally, I think you're one of the best storytellers when it comes to race photography that's out there. Oh, thank Um, you. you. And so when we, I was kind of chatting around, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do the race photography and and I apologize to my race photographers if they're listening on this show, (laughs) um, I had to, I had to bring you on and and just kind of hear your story because you're, you got kind of an interesting trail running background and how you got into the race photography and stuff. So I thought it was, it's a really cool dynamic and how it parallels kind of one another and in your trail running experience and and the photography side of things. So that, and that's kind of where I want to start is where, where you got started because it was trail running first and then race photography second, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I started trail running. I mean, gosh, I technically started trail running in like 1989. (laughs) Um, I've never been a road runner. And even when I was, um, I guess I started out in triathlon, but we always did all of our training. And that was when I was in college. We did all of our training on trails. And I avoided roads like the plague, except for during races. (laughs) But my first like ultra running, like true trail races was 1999, a 50 miler in Bishop, California. And um, yeah, I had, had the last time I had touched a camera was probably, you know, in high school. And I didn't pick up a camera again until 2015 when I started to shoot. <laughs> wow.
0: Well, from the, from the trail running perspective, um, let's, let's start there. Um, cause I want to get a little bit more of that background and stuff. So yeah. triathlon team, no training on, on roads, all trail, you get yeah. done with, you get done with the triathlon side of things and you start making your way into ultras. Did you just jump right into ultras or, um, like your 50 K was the first race you trained for and everything else? Or did you ever get into like, <laughs> Let me, let me see what the smaller trail races are all about first, because in 99, you said, I guess that's kind of when ultras really were on the cusp of like starting to take off really, or they were just getting to that point where they were more popping up and you could find a little bit more around the country.
1: I mean, it was still pretty small. I mean, you'd go on. You'd go on Stan Jensen's website, run100s.com. Uh, I think there were 14 100-milers in the country at the time, a fair amount of 50-milers, 50Ks. Uh, I mean, for me, I between college and when I started running ultras, I mean, I did triathlon for a handful of years, but then I got into rock climbing, completely stopped running, where, like, that took over my life. But it was actually during rock climbing um, – at the time I was living in the San Gabriel, I'm living in LA, but I was climbing a ton in the San Gabriels at Williamson Rock. And uh, one of my climbing partners had a license plate frame that said Western States Endurance Run. And so I asked him about it, but it didn't at the time mean too much because I those just weren't my mountains. And it was like, well, okay, that sounds interesting. But on the way home from climbing in the San Gabriels, we used to stop uh, he said, Oh, can we stop and drop off water at shortcut saddle? My friend is running the Angeles crest 100 and he's trying to win it. And I was like, huh, a hundred miles through these mountains. Now that would be interesting. You know, cause it's like I grew up in those mountains. So it kind of, it struck something. And, uh, at the time I was about to, I didn't know it, but I was about to stopped going to work and move to the Sierra up in Mammoth. And one last thing I did just after I moved to Mammoth, I decided to try an Ironman. Um, I just had a bunch of crazy stuff going in life. I was like, oh, I'll get back in the triathlon and I'll do an Ironman. But while I was training for the Ironman, you know, I had learned about the Sandalus Crest 100 and I said, well, that's going to be the next project. And, you know, that was 1998 and in 99 Angeles crest 100 was first race I ever signed up for. Um, and for me, it wasn't because it was a hundred miles. It's cause I grew up in those mountains. So it meant something to me Yeah, and I had to do a 50 mile race as a qualifier, which is why I wound up doing the Bishop high Sierra 50, which was just down the road in Mammoth. Um, it was a challenge to finish the 50 miler only because I wound up like my Patella got or IT van got pissed off during it. But I was like, oh, I have to finish this race so that I can do the 100. Yeah, I discovered real quick that 100 miles is not merely just two times as long as 50 miles. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: it becomes pretty exponential, you know? It took me it took me a couple of tries to finish a hundred and Leadville in 2001 became my first hundred miler that I actually finished. Oh, and, then, and then six weeks later I finished Angeles crest. So I got them both
0: in the same year. First hundred was Leadville. I I've been out there a couple of times to, you know, help mark that course and see it. So being that, that was your first one. That's, that's pretty solid, but to follow it up with Angel's crest, you know, at the same time, it's, that's amazing.
1: It It was kind of like for me, I lived in the mountain. I mean, I had been doing things in the mountains for, you know, a decade prior to that race. Um, and then living in the Sierra, like I lived at 8,000 feet, all my training for the past, the years leading up to that, you know, like it was always in the backcountry, between reaching 8,000 and 14,000 feet. Those were like my normal runs. So it, Leadville felt easy <laughs> um, compared to what home was like in the Sierra. Um, where, you know, it's all backcountry single track and super rocky. And Leadville was like a lot of road and Colorado trails like Butter and Hope Pass really wasn't that bad. And um, (laughs) oddly enough, it's still my 100-mile PR all these years later. But I I, I started going to harder races. (laughs) Um, But I, I originally started trail running, like mountain trail running, not because... I wanted to race, but more because I hated backpacking and I hated carrying stuff. I was a terrible mule. And I was like, you know what? People that carry these 70-pound packs, it takes them a week to cover these distances. And I can go out in half a day and run the same distance carrying like one or two water bottles and be home for dinner. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a it was a way to explore my new home in the Sierra. Um every Every week, I'd just go out and run 30, 40 miles in the backcountry and see a different part. And like I said, only just carrying like one or two water bottles and some fig bars and, you know, nothing like what, what people carry around today in the backcountry. Yeah, it was an yeah. interesting time.
0: Did I, I read an article uh, just – well, it's a, it's an older article, but I read it just recently in the last week or so. Did I Did I read correctly that during your – the Angels Crest DNFs uh, and your Leadville um, side of things. You were also battling an eating disorder during that t- entire time. Yeah. How? How? Oh my God. I I can't even imagine trying to figure out the eating disorder and training for ultras. How does? How did that all work out?
1: That 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 was rough. I mean, that was a four-year period in my life from 27 to 31. And it started when I was a climber, just benignly enough from a girlfriend suggesting I I do some particular diet back in the day. And the, you know, you start getting really you're like, oh, when you climb, you know, strength to weight ratio is huge. And if you're trying to climb harder and harder and harder, it's like you want to weigh less and less and less, but you still want to be strong. You just started getting ridiculous into weighing out all your foods and, and eating so specific. And yeah, I I I was like less than 4% body fat, (laughs) but I was, I climbed great, but I had like no energy ever. And, um, I wound up getting into this cycle where I, I remember after four months of this really strict diet, uh, I was on a climbing trip in the Owens River Gorge. And on the way back home, my friends wanted to stop and get ice cream. And I was like, no, I'm good. You know, I haven't had any like really sugary stuff in a long time. And at the last minute I'm like, nah, I think I'll have some and having all of a sudden having sugar for the first time in four months, like there was this crazy energy rush. And I was like, Oh wow. Like I feel great. <laughs> all energy. And you know, before you know it, you're having like a ton of ice cream at every meal or after dinner. And then next thing you know, you're completely out of control at every meal, eating everything you possibly can. And then going on a, this cycle of like, three or four weeks of eating everything you can possibly fit in your mouth. Mm -hmm. And then three or four weeks of being completely anal and measuring everything and eating perfect and just doing this roller coaster yeah, back and forth. So yeah, my first two DNFs at Angeles crest were directly a result of battling this because trying to be consistent was impossible or you get, you know, I'd, I'd be great right up until the race and then have a relapse a week the week of the race. And then you're feeling like garbage, but you know, as uh, part of why I moved to the Sierra, because you're stuck in this cycle and it becomes, you know, kind of a cycle of despair where you see no way out. And I was like, well, you know, it's either, it's either walk in the street and get hit by a bus, or maybe I'll just walk away from my engineering job, move to the mountains and start a whole new life. So I just, Stopped going to work and called them from the mountains and said, "Yeah, I don't think I'm coming in anymore." They're like, "What?" (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was it was that bad. And you know, things were okay when I first moved up there, and that was part of a little bit of getting back into triathlon to go. Well, you know, it's one thing if you're alcoholic. You know, you don't need alcohol to live. You don't need drugs to live, but you have to eat. And I was like, well, maybe if I train for an Ironman, it'll force myself to to be better with eating. Um, it worked a little bit, but not very well. Um, and then, yeah, the first couple of years of running ultras, yeah, it was really hard. And it kind of peaked leading up to Leadville. I, w- I was teaching like ele- music in elementary school or something like that. I forget in the day playing music at night, but I was like, so out of control. I had done no training and this is like May of that year of the race. And I'm like, the, the run manual came in the mail back when they actually sent things to you. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, Oh man, what am I going to do? You know, you read through the manual and you know, you're like, I want to do this. But then you're like, I have not trained at all. (laughs) And I said, then I said to myself, well, you know what, at the end of the school year, let's go out to Leadville and just see, see what it's like. And so when school ended and like I said, eating disorder wise, I was totally out of control. Like I had muscle cramps every day. It just felt like garbage. That was an absolute mess. And I go out to Leadville and I go from zero training. I run 75 miles the first week I'm there. And I'm like, all right, I've got 10 weeks to get ready. And I'm like, so for the next seven weeks, I'm going to go crazy. And I ran between 70 and 80 miles a week for eight, seven straight weeks. And then did a nice little taper. I only relapsed a couple times and, and, you know, and, and I somehow made up for it. I'd go out for like a 16 mile run at midnight oh. <laughs> to, to, to work off what garbage I ate, you know? Um, Cause I was like, I can't mess this up. I have to, I have to do this race. And, uh, I was having pretty much the race of my life. Um, everything was going so great and you know, I'd done so much training in the backcountry, up at high elevation, tons of running. And I was pretty. I was on pace for a good, like a 22 hour finish, um, or 23 hour finish. things got a little funky after 75 miles with a a pacer that was way too overzealous that I didn't want, but my dad insisted I take. And, um, he ran me into the ground and and I bonked, I wound up finishing in 25 and change. But the crazy thing was, is when, as soon as I finished the race, like, It was like some switch went off and that was the last day, like August 18th, 2001 was the last day I had an eating disorder. Like it all just ended when I crossed the finish line of Leadville. And I don't know if it was my brain finally going like for whatever mental, uh, you know, emotional stuff I was dealing with. Like somehow it was like I finally accomplished something that everybody else said was so absurd or that I didn't believe myself I could do or like, Hey, I'm not dead. My body still works. I can still do hard things, but mm-hmm. somehow that was the end of it. You know, and here we are, what, 22 years later. And it's, it's never ever been a problem since not that I don't think about little things here and there, but yeah, that was the end of it. And then, like I said, you know, six weeks later, did Angeles crest? No problem. But yeah, most, most people don't, They, they, they think of, you know, with women with eating disorders, they don't realize there's a lot of guys out there that go through it as well. It was a big part of my history.
0: (laughs) It's amazing what, you know, the, the mind does. I mean, you, you said you, you got done with Leadville and just instantly you were like, okay, that, that portion is over. Like, I, I'm not concerned about that anymore, but it just kind of shows you what, what running I mean, I, we've talked about this on the podcast before, with like mental health and everything else, and how yeah. being outdoors and and running can really help people out in that scenario. I've n- I've never heard of anybody like having the having battling these just eating disorder, and then like all of a sudden it's just like okay, I'm done and gone. So it's it's amazing yeah. that that the mind can can do that as well as far as realize like. All right. I've just I've just accomplished this. Now I feel like I can move on and everything else. It's quite quite cool to hear something along those lines as far as a success story in that sense.
1: Yeah, it was odd. I can't totally explain it. You know, maybe having two failures that Angela's crest first. So like it really became this project to 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 figure out and work on. But whatever it was. Yeah, I mean, literally, I could almost feel like the the Leadville 100, like or running 100 miles saved my life because you know there was some. Yeah, anybody's had a an disease disorder, I'll tell you. Like, you know, there's some really dark times where you, you know, sometimes you wish you just don't want to wake up, you know, because it's just in a pain. How, Go away. Like
0: when you're when you're running uh, a race like Leadville, and mm. or even you know Angels Crest, like having a an disorder and going to the aid stations and stuff. I mean what what is that what was that like for you trying to figure like because that, you're obviously you're obviously trying to like okay I can't eat this I can't eat that I don't want to drink this like all right, so how so much that, you-
1: that part wasn't a problem it no. was it wasn't like you'd see the aid station of like you know it's not like piles of cocaine sitting there you know it's <laughs> you're just like you, you want to eat what you want to eat because you're just right. hungry but it was you know it was more like during the training yeah. Um, was always the problem. Like, let's say you're trying to get rid of eating sugary stuff, you know, because sugar is a trigger and you're like, well, how do I go out and run 40 miles in the backcountry without eating sugar, you know, or even, you know, it, it was more like the daily life of trying to, That's crazy, you know, to really work on what you're eating, but you're, you're in the middle of training. And so you're always hungry. Yeah. But you just couldn't stop. You know, one bowl of cereal became the whole box.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it's just it, it was it was never ending just during the training. And like I said, then you'd go you'd go a month eating like that, and then a month you'd flip the other way. And then you start to feel great. And then you go, Oh, I could have a little treat. Well, that little treat turns into falling off the cliff again. Yeah. And um, but I yeah, I don't I don't really know how. Finishing that race, what it changed in my mind, but that was the end of it. It never was a problem again. Not that I don't like occasionally all pig out or something like that, but it's, yeah. it's, it, there be, there just became control over it. it. And maybe in my head, I went, you know, like you can, like never do diets. You can eat, you can eat stuff in moderation. You can have bad stuff, but just anything in moderation, like tended to be the better thing. So it's just the same when I see all these things people do. is like seventy-five hard or all these other st- stuff you see on the internet. I'm like, they're all extremes of something. Like 100%. it's not sustainable in the long
0: term. A hundred percent. Yeah. <it's>, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fat diets always come and go. It's kind of just one of those things where if you just know exactly what you put in your body and eat in moderation and feel comfortable with what you're eating, I I don't know. I mean, that's that's the best. That's the best bet for sure. So yeah. Um. That was 2001. Yeah. So how yep. many how many ultras have you participated in since then?
1: I don't race a ton. I've probably ra- I've probably done like 60 something races, but 20, 22 of them, 21 or 22 hundred mile finishes, something like that. Okay. I don't I don't keep track of 50 mile 50k. Yeah. Um. And it's probably easy to keep track of the hundred mile finishes because nine of them are at Angeles crest, 10 of them are at hard rock ones. Leadville one is wasatch. Um, so it's like not a wide variety of races, (laughs) but I tended to find a couple that I was passionate about and just do them incessantly. Um, you know, it's like, I lived in the Sierra. Now I live in the San Juan's like my backyard was always, usually most beautiful, more beautiful than any race. Although I live where hard rock is, so it's one and the same, but, um, I just enjoyed going out in the back country and running when I was running. It really wasn't, it wasn't like I was running to escape something. I wasn't running to escape the eating disorder. It's just like, I loved nature. I just loved going out. outside.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you feel like an animal and just kind of <laughs> see new places out there and running with my dogs and, um, and whatnot like that, but, uh,
0: Well, and that's, that's the thing. It's like when somebody comes over from road racing and they get into trail running, it's kind of one of those like, Oh my God, why haven't I done this more? You know, like you're being outside in nature and feeling a little bit more alive. I don't know. That's the way I feel is when you're on the trails, it's just, I don't know. It's just a little bit more serene and to yourself, I guess, in a sense, but what, uh, so Let's talk about the photography side of things. Um, you said you had referenced that you hadn't picked up a camera. You hadn't really done any photo shoot stuff since you were younger. So what what made you pick up a camera and try that out and and get back into into that as a as something as a regular hobby before before the business took off?
1: It was kind of like, I mean, the whole time. The first 15 years of running, you know, I I was a full-time musician for maybe a decade. Uh, Eventually, I was a high school teacher. And in 2014, I went through a divorce, and I was kind of getting burned on teaching. And at the time, I was getting burned on paying a mortgage, too. And I was like, well, we're getting divorced. We're going to sell our condo. That'll solve the commitment of the mortgage and maybe I should resign from teaching at the end of the school year and just move from the Sierra to Silverton and start over again. And so that's what I did. I wound up living in Silverton in the summer of 2014. Um, My friend who owned a house in Silverton while I was out for hard rock, he's like, well, if you want to, you can stay at my house, just pay the utilities. Um, It was an extra house for him. Mm. And uh, I was like, that'd be great. He's like, you can work on music, work on an album. And that was my original plan just to move to Silverton. I'm going to work on an album and maybe I'm just going to go full on back into music, you know, and, and see where that takes me. And after five months, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And every time I'd record stuff, I'd listen to it the next day. And I'm like, no, I don't like it. Nope. I don't like it. You know, five months later you go I don't have anything done. (laughs) And from the sale of the condo, you know, I had some money to play with. I'm like, I can take a year off, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, well, shit, what am I going to (laughs) do? And I got used to, I had a Husky and a Malamute. Um, Joey was the Husky. Mickey was the Malamute. Now we had just spent the last, you know, six months being together 24 seven. And I'm like, I don't want to go back to a regular job because I'm not going to leave them alone eight to 10 hours a day. I want to have to do something where they can be with me all the time. And uh, as the fall came around in the San Juans, I had never seen Aspen trees like that where for thousands of feet up the hill mountainsides, just crazy color. And I was just taking tons of iPhone pictures and, you know, putting them on Facebook and people were liking them and, I'm like, well, this is kind of fun. Like, and people seem to like you know, my phone photos or whatever. I'm like, I need to get a real camera. Yeah. And, and I also had a couple friends at the time who were photographers, uh, a friend in Silverton, Chris Furman, who was shooting, he was shooting running and, um, a couple other friends that, that shot running, my friend, Ivan Buzik in California was shooting running and, At some point, the light bulb just went off. I'm like, I've been running Ultras for 15 years. I know what it feels like as a runner when you do these. Maybe I can bring that to a camera. And in February of 2015, yeah, I bought just like a relatively inexpensive Nikon. And March of 2015 was the first race I ever shot. It was like a 50-miler in Southern California. and. I went all in though. Um, There was no plan B because I was like, I need to make this work because I want my dogs to be able to be with me. So it really was, it was all about my dogs. Like I have to get good so that I can survive and they can stay with me all the time. And I don't have to go back to a normal job, but you know, it, it was hard the first couple of years Uh, I went massively into debt (laughs)
0: Yeah, um, I mean, how did you how did you find how did you find races to to shoot? Were you doing a lot of stuff? I mean, you said your first one was in Southern California. Yeah. But as living in Colorado, were you trying to find stuff that was in Colorado around your area so you could keep it, well keep costs down and stuff? Or how did you find those first yeah. first few races to to shoot?
1: Well, in the early winter of. 2014 i wound up leaving silverton because the house i lived in had like no insulation and it was just miserable i mean i had come from 20 years in mammoth so i was used to cold but you know living in like a house that's not winterized was brutal and i wound up going to southern california just to hang out with some friends over thanksgiving and then a friend there who was going through a divorce is like oh would you want to you know what it's she's like, I've been married 26 years. My husband just walked out. My house is empty and it's really strange. And I know you're a pro at divorce. That was my third. She's like, why don't you move into my son's room for a couple of months? You know, it'll, it'll help me through this emptiness in my house now. And it'll give you a place to live. I was like, sure. Okay. I'll go hang out. And, um, and so, I mean, part of it, I mean, I had been running so long. It's like, I knew a lot of, I knew a lot of races. I knew a lot of race directors. Um, and living, having lived in Mammoth, like the Southern kind of the California running scene was sort of, you know, one of my home places to run. So it just, I wound up just asking the race director of the first race, Hey, do you mind if I come shoot your race? And if I shoot it, would you send out the link to the runners so they could buy stuff? Uh, and the second race, uh, was Kira Henninger's like, uh, Leona divide, a race I had run many times and I'm like, Hey, same thing. Can I come out and shoot? She's like, sure. Uh, the real breakthrough was later that year, I was good friends with Cam Despert at the time. And it was the first year she was going to put the big foot 200 on. And okay. she's, and she was like, Oh, why don't you shoot the big, why don't you come shoot my race? And, um, that was really the, the turning point and sort of, I started to discover where my niche was. Nice. And some and sometime that summer I got all new camera gear. Cause I was like looking at other people's stuff and going, you know what, if, if I'm going to do this professionally, I can't have like an, an amateur camera. Like I need to go out and buy some stuff, but for, for Bigfoot, you know, it's a hundred and eight hour race. I wound up staying up pretty much the whole time. I only slept five hours, but everybody, you know, at that time, you saw a lot of pretty running shots. People love to take pretty trail shots. Well, and
0: I, I guess that's the thing that, that we always see, like, I, I don't know, runners see a photographer and they jump up in the air and okay. their hands. And it's like, every, there's, there's nothing going wrong with the race. Everybody's having a great time. Right. right. <laughs> and so those, those, those shots are great for race directors marketing in a sense. Yeah, and, and I say this because I know from, from a fact that that's the ones I look for is the ones that everybody's right. having a great time you know jumping up in the air whatever but yeah it definitely misses out on a whole entire another side of the race I think and and that's that's kind of where I've seen some of your photos where you're capturing just the the breakdowns the heartache the you know, people at the aid <laughs> station and stuff, you know, and it's, it's been kind that, of cool to see that.
1: That's what I discovered. Like it was somewhere on the second day. And I remember being at like 75 miles in, and I happened to be at an aid station and I, and I was kind of shooting some stuff going on and then and talking to some people. And I remember at one point, you know, you know, somebody, uh, this one runner wanted to drop. And, you know, in my head, I, I switched gears. Cause I go, well, I do these things like let me let me help you like not drop. <laughs> so you're 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 becoming kind of support, like part of the race, because now you're helping that you're trying to figure out how to help somebody keep going. Yeah. While at the same time you, you've got a camera too. And um she did wind up dropping eventually, but but later on, like the big epiphany or the big moment was more like um, I was shooting at this. I came to this aid station at Spencer Butte and you see a sign on the ground, you know, Spencer Butte, mile 101 point whatever. And you're like 101. Like, well, I've run 100 miles a lot of times. These guys still have 104 miles to go. And you're trying to wrap your head around it. And so I just wound up sitting at that aid station in the middle of nowhere and you just would start talking to the people you know and getting to known and while you're talking to them, getting known you're shooting you know okay. it became real it was not intrusive like it just became part of the thing where um you have a rapport with the runners and you're able to get that a glimpse into them that's uh, is that's completely natural it's not forced uh nobody's jumping nobody's fake smiling. They're not yeah. like, you a thumbs up. They're just like, they are being them and you're able to capture that. And I, and I wound up doing the rest of that, that the rest of the race. And, um, yeah, when Candace saw the photos and she was kind of blown away, she was like, wow, I had no idea. This is what my races are like,
0: <laughs> you know, because
1: yeah. y- y- you see an overview of things, but now like, here's this like in-depth look into the darkness <laughs> Of running 200 miles, you know, in the wilderness, and and that yeah, that kind of became my thing. Like I like the pretty running shot, but I was more into. I knew as a runner, like a lot of a lot of the stuff. Yeah, you have a lot of happy times, but a lot of it is yeah, looking inside yourself. You know, in those those moments, they're not always dark, but they're not easy. Yep, and that became kind of my my thing of capturing for whatever reason just that's that's what appealed to me and they might not be the greatest marketing photos
0: <laughs> but, but those are the ones that people look at though when they're going through their photos and saying oh i remember that time that's when i was at mile 101 and breaking down and it brings back the memory for them yeah but from the race director perspective no it's not the greatest marketing photos but <laughs> from the runner perspective though it brings in a completely different side of that story yeah. that you know, they're trying to explain it to their friends. Like this here, this is the shot that, right. That captured this moment.
1: How it did work in marketing. I think though, is, um, while those photos might not be all over the websites, but what I found is like, especially when I was shooting the 200 milers, um, when I would post, you know, like, a, uh, a put a post on Instagram, you know, showing like, well, here's whatever aid station this is, there's a storm going on and you, the people on Instagram were glued. And suddenly, you know, you're getting thousands and thousands of reactions and comments on a post, which makes people go, I want to be a part of that. You know, they stay, they yeah. see how intense it is. Yeah. And the social media aspect, I think, you know, when they see it on that, I feel like that really pulls a lot of people in. Um, the drama, you know, the intensity, the the downs, the ups, you know, um, yeah, I know for me, like pretty running shots, they might get a certain reaction, but when it's really the stuff that's showing people's soul, that's really what I feel like draws people in. Um, and then they want to be a part of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How do you decide and besides the fact that race director's you know hire you to come out like how do you decide which races to shoot f- moving forward do you because i see most of the stuff that you do is a lot of the 200s a lot of 100 uh, mile stuff currently yeah. i mean do you how do you go about your process of okay i can i can def- i definitely want to come out and shoot this this race but i can't do this one or that one i mean what how does that process look for you when you're doing
1: that yeah when i was first starting it was more of like you know i was trying to get Shoot as much as I could it usually stuff that interested me but as time goes on you start to narrow your focus like the whole reason I started shooting Barkley um is because I had run it and I'm like okay I know what Barkley's like as a runner and it's it's unlike anything else I'm like That would be amazing to cover because, you know, kind of what's going on through those runners' minds at Barkley. That's it. Like, that's an interesting one. You know, Western States, it's such a big race. You know, it's, it's big for everybody. It's big for the front, but it's also so much history. It's just as important for the people in the middle of the pack, back of the pack, as it is for the fastest runners out there. Everybody has their reasons. Um. Granted, the three times I've actually shot Western States because I was hired by brands um, like Altra for a couple of times. Uh, last year, Solomon hired me to cover their runners. Uh, and the other, you know, mainly now I shoot things that I find. Like I shoot the San Diego 100 every year because I love that community. And a lot of the, the people who put the race on are hard rockers and hard rocks like my number one thing. So there's a lot of personal reasons to go out and shoot San Diego. Yeah. Mainly now it's just, I shoot things that interest me or like if a brand yeah. wants me to cover, I mean, I covered hard rock for Solomon last year. It's like, Oh, your job shoot Francois and Courtney. No pressure there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <right>. Um,
1: <laughs> but I, I do also, as time goes on, I like to do things Where I have a more personal connection. Um, and even when it comes to shooting for brands, it's like, you know, shooting Courtney. Courtney's a really good friend of mine. Like I love to cover, you know, people that mean something to me. It's just like shooting states. Like I like shooting states too, because like to Casey Lichte, that's a huge race. And, you know, we're special friends. And so it means a lot to shoot her there. You know, it that's kind of a lot as things go on. Like I like to tell stories a more personal level, um, yeah. as opposed to necessarily shooting an entire race. Um, yeah, a coca I love shooting that. Again, you know, you got six days to tell a story. Yeah. That's super fun. Um, I shoot javelina every year. Havelina, despite being a thousand person race, to me still feels it's got community. It still feels like everybody knows everybody. There's, there's a bond there. Um, and those are a lot of the races I like to cover where, yeah, you feel some sort of sense of community and there's something unique, but you know, again, it, it has some personal connection to me in yeah. some way or another.
0: What, um, being a, being an ultra on yourself and having to go out to Cocodona or Havelina and follow along with some of the runners, like what's what kind of prep do you have to put in going into a, to an event just to, just to shoot? I mean, cause as you said, like your first, first one, you did the first 200, you did you hiked a hundred miles out there and stuff. I mean, are you having to prep your prep your gear, just like you would go out and do a race, like, how does that yeah. work for you now? <laughs>
1: I think running a race is easier than shooting it. Um, because <laughs> when you run a race, you, you just run. You know what I mean? You show up, you put your <laughs> bib on. Yeah. You got to pay it. Well, we're what drop bags, but you basically have one job run. Um, whereas shooting, you're like, well, for a 200 miler, especially now, like, okay, everybody's got trackers. You're like, well, got five days. How are we going to plan this? And I, I don't shoot them alone anymore. Thank goodness. You know, I shoot them with Scott Rocus, um, a couple other people, Anastasia, wild shoots them with us. And so, You know, you start planning, okay, on day, you know, well, there's there's check-in photos, check-in portraits, day one, which locations do we want to go to? Yeah. Day two, you just have an idea where you want to go to. And at some point you're looking at trackers. Well, where are people at? You know, where can I maximize my time? And at some point you're like, well, when the when are the winners going to come in? Somebody's got to be at the finish line. And then you start scheduling who's at the finish line for like eight hour shifts. And then, you know, you going back and forth and moving all over. So it's, <laughs> it becomes a lot of planning um, yeah. and you're paying attention, you know, where's the light, you know, do you want sunrise, sunset, you know, midday lights, awful. Like there's a lot of things to think about. <laughs> and it's sort of, and, and if you're shooting like last year, shooting um, hard rock where I'm covering Francois and Courtney, but it means you're also covering Killian and Dakota and, now you're doing the logistics of like, well, okay, I've run the race 10 times. I know everywhere on that course, but now you're having to think about, well, if I shoot them here, I've got to do this drive. And then this hike, how much time do I have to get to this other spot? You know, and uh, at times it's, it got crazy where you're driving faster than you should on really rough roads. And now you're hiking as hard as you can in in the fog and rain to try to catch the leaders going up handy peak praying you didn't miss them. You know Uh it's, it's crazy stressful compared to running.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know, as there's so many hours and so many weeks, you're planning and prepping for a race. Right. And yeah. And uh, you know, I don't think it, the runners really understand how much effort goes into putting on some of these events, whether it's a small oh. half marathon trail or 10k up to a 200 mile right there's so much prep work that goes into it yeah and it's the same thing for race photography and, and the, your crew that you work with and who where you're having to go and the equipment you have to take and it's i think yeah. it's it's almost like it's it's kind of taken for granted sometimes i don't oh, definitely i don't like to say that but it's definitely taken for granted sometimes because a lot of people just don't think about how much effort goes into it so you know it's kind of one of those things like and the trail runners that are listening to this, all I can say is, you know, if you have a chance to thank the photographers when you're out on a race, please do so. Cause they're busting their ass to get out there and get the photos that they, that are going to make it worthwhile for you themselves and the race directors. So, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, cuz
1: at the end of the day, you know, 20 years down the road, you still got that photo and this thing you're going to think back. It's a memory, you know, you can share with you, you can share with your kids, your parents, whoever like. It's cool to have that record. I look back on my whole ultra running career and I've got like 4 photos. Like <laughs> no <laughs> 10 hard rocks. I have almost no photos <laughs> cuz nobody there, everybody's just shooting the the front of the. You know, a couple of people come out to shoot the yeah. the leads. You know, not that Hard Rock's about that, but nobody else. There's not too many stuff out there. Um, And yeah, you're just trying to capture memories and moments and freeze little bits of time so that they just last forever. Um, yeah. And to tell a story, yeah. And 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 when and when your race is done and you go home. Photographers are still working for the next like week, <laughs> yep, sitting in exactly. front of the computer. You know, <laughs> just like with, just like with race directors, you're you're putting the stuff away and <laughs> and doing so all.
0: So when you're emailing the race director or the yeah the race director and you're asking where the race photos are, <laughs> just know that there's still effort and time that has to be put into that. I get that. That's like one of my biggest questions post races. Next to results is when the race photo is going to be done. I'm like, well, let's let's give some time. You want you want a good shot. You want to make sure that they're all dialed in and focused and everything else. You got to wait out. But um, well, Howie, thank you so much for sitting down and and chatting with me about about your your trail running experiences and and photos and everything. It's this has been a really fun conversation. I love hearing the different perspective of the trail community and the different ways that the trail community is kind of brought together and it's, you know, again, storytelling at its finest with the photos that you put out there. So it's, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everything you do for the community, man. It's awesome.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I super appreciate it.
0: The Trail Life Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Stoner. Music is provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this episode and the entire Trail Life Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or anywhere you find your favorite podcast episodes. Thank you again, everybody. and We'll see you out on the trails real soon.